everybody. Welcome to the Workprint's Spidey Talk. Uh, today we'll be podcasting about Spider-Man. Uh, pretty much everything you can imagine about Spider-Man for fellow Spider-Man fans, including Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the Spider-Man PS4 video game, and most importantly, Spider-Man Far From Home, which we'll be reviewing on Tuesday when the, uh, the movie comes out, which we're all very excited about. Uh, I'm your host, Christian, as you know. Uh, with me today is uh, Basam Kato. Hi, I'm Basam. I'm an actor, writer, uh, recent addition to work print, and massive Spider-Man fan ever since I was a little kid. Yeah, and Jad Kiddo. Hey, it's Jad, and I'm a writer and organizer and also a writer for the work print. Yeah. All right, so yeah, we're just going to talk about Spider-Man, um, talk about the things that we love about it and the culture of Spider-Man, uh, and then get into a little bit of fun stuff towards the end and cover, of course, Far From Home. To begin, let's talk about Into the Spider-Verse. Um, this movie came out in, what was it, December of 2018? Yeah, I want to say December. Yeah, December twenty eighteen. Yeah, uh, it was it was completely groundbreaking. the uh, The animation was phenomenal. For those who haven't seen it, uh, it was a very weird blend of comic book style and uh, and traditional animation that was so unique that I think Sony actually copyrighted the technology so that nobody could technically use that format ever again. That's but that's kind of how unique it was. Uh, so. Yeah. Uh, your initial thoughts about Spider-Verse. So, Spider-Verse, I mean, I know some people tend to throw this word around, but I really think that Spider-Verse is a recent example of a perfect movie. Really? Yes. So, when you really look at it, there is really no weaknesses in that movie. I mean, Miles Morales is a very interesting character. He's layered. He has a great backstory. You see his progression as a character. You see his struggles as a character. Not only him being a teenager, but him being a teenager from an urban neighborhood that has to go into a more private school setting. The complex of him trying to keep his own identity while dealing with uh, the identity being forced upon by his parents. A lot of children have to deal with that if they have immigrant parents of having to deal with an identity that is placed on them or expected of them, as opposed to what they want to develop themselves. The introduction of uh, the different spider characters, which was done by the really interesting plot point of Fisk. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. wanting to bring his family back, which was also a cool development of his character. So it wasn't just a character who wanted to take over the world. It was a character who wanted to save a part of himself that was lost. Yeah, yeah. So he has to come up with this idea that is so dangerous, but he wants to go through with it. Because it's, in his mind, the only way to get back what he lost so you have a character, you have a main character who's fleshed out, mm-hmm. supporting characters around him that are great, especially his uncle Prowler, who is a great kind of mixture of yeah. of this kind of gray character where he's this great uncle and it's amazing in a relationship to him, yeah. but he also has this other side of him, and you really kind of see the interesting blend about it. Yeah. Um, it's enough, it's different, the story is different enough that it has a separation from the Peter Parker storyline, but also has this important parallels. Yeah, And the Prowler really plays an amazing part of that. Yeah. Of the fact that in chasing him and in doing the bidding of the Kingpin, he ends up being killed. So not only does a villain get disposed, but Miles Morales also loses an uncle, which is the whole thing of, like, kind of being Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, just... The characterizations of all the villains. You have the different Doctor Octopus, which is different from what we know. It's the female version of it. Yeah, she's which was a great surprise in the movie because, yeah. like, when I was watching that, I was like, "Oh, hey, she's an interesting Doctor type." And I, I actually wasn't because yeah. because I didn't really research into the Spider Verse comics or like anything about this. I just knew Spider Man from like 
my nerdism over Spider-Man of course, for, yeah. throughout the years. And so when I saw her, I was like, okay, she's an eccentric doctor type, but like she probably won't have that big of a role. I did not expect her to be uh, Dr. Same. Octavia. Olivia Octavius or something. Yeah. 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 I agree with you. And it was a great surprise. I think uh, the dynamic of Peter Parker was really interesting too. Yeah. Because yeah, the Peter Parker we know is either the... the the nerdy teen who's dealing with his with his uh all his issues yeah or this kind of peter parker who's on his own thing and is kind of finding his way and is like taking on responsibility told me why spider-man's a lot like that yeah, yeah but this peter parker is kind of like a peter parker that has been to the ringer but also kind of like lost the motivation for the responsibility you know yeah yeah so he had these great combination of everyone and then all the different spider-verse characters you know yeah all from ranging from like spider noir <laughs> and then like spider pig these ridiculous different animation styles that were blended so well with yeah. the original and it's just their personality for each exactly. one exactly like the small moments where you see like uh penny parker for instance uh, she's like the asian one with the little battle robot uh yeah. even though they have like these small snippets and you don't think it's enough to give a characterization because they blend it so well with the voice acting and like what's happening in the scenes you yeah. get a lot of personality you get a lot of vibrant animation you get a lot of just just emotional tone which is surprising because they're not they're in the movie but like for the short snippets that they're in they're very strong beats which was just an overall great job from the uh, the movie itself yeah. and also really highlighted the uh the talents of Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Like, oh yeah, their exactly. writing style and their direction with this movie was just phenomenal. And I, I will stand by. I think it is a perfect film because I, any kind of critique I've heard from it is more just like a subjective critique of maybe animation styles. Yeah. But as a consistent story, character development, everything, I think it hits every beat. Hmm. Uh, Jad, what are your thoughts on Spider Verse? You know, uh, I agree with Basam overall. I don't, I don't know if I necessarily use the word perfect it's because I don't like to use that as a script a descriptor in general but uh, I do think he brings up a lot of fair points and to find critiques on it is very difficult so um, you know there's twofold aspects to this movie right? there's the animation which is super phenomenal and there is the storyline which Basam does talk about too um, and I just want to expand upon some of the uh, like plot structures and, and devices that were used and um that really stuck out to me. Yeah. Kind of as a as a writer and also as a comic book fan, it really hits the story of Spider-Man in such a perfect way, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of the pacing, in terms of the build-up, as Bassam did talk about, right? So what they're doing here is, I think, what a lot of other comic book movies are lacking heavily mm -hmm. in their writing and in their plot creations, right? And that is taking the original story, yeah, keeping the basis of the mythology... And reinventing it in a new and different way that is enjoyable and accessible to everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And they really do it well with this movie, as you said, Phil Lord and his buddy. Um, you know, it, it really does come off as a Spider-Man movie through and through. Mm -hmm. And the progression, right? He goes through very similar challenges throughout his whole thing. The writers knew how to make Miles Morales relatable. Mm -hmm. But not just relatable to most Spider-Man fans relatable to current Spider-Man fans, right? Okay. Which is what the original Spider-Man comics was originally intended to do. So let's talk about that a little bit since we're, you brought it up. Um, what's the difference between, in your opinion, the current Spider-Man fans and what they expect of Spider-Man versus somebody who read it in like the 80s or somebody who read the comics and watched the animated series like us uh, in the 90s? I would say external issues. Um, modern day discussions of, of, of uh, let's say, mental health, I would say, is a big one. Okay. That's something that's more in the forefront 
um, in the national discussion and also within art yeah. uh, these days, the relationship with parents and family. Oh, yeah, that's very something important that there, is yeah. heavily stressed now more so than I would say um, back in the, in the 60s. Even though it was present there, I just think, you know, they had different focuses on that, right? Yeah. Each editor would have a different message that they would want to send out with that story arc, too. So I think that now you have a modern audience, right? And you're they're, they're clearly younger. Mm-hmm. You know, this is like children that we're essentially talking about. So you have to appeal to them in multiple ways, right? And I think the values that that movie likes to talk about is resiliency, is confidence. Uh, I presume mental health to a certain extent. Yeah. I'm not an expert on that. Um, and also diversity, right? Oh, definitely. Which is something that, that has, again, been, um, you know, uh, dominated within the cultural zeitgeist mm-hmm. that we are in. And that movie really captures the essence of it very well. Absolutely. And integrates it as a part of the story where it doesn't have to shy away from what the story is in and of itself, too. Right? And I think good comic book writing does that in general. And if a movie can pick up on that, especially a comic book movie then it's going to come off to be very, very strong, and you're going to have a lot of difficulty finding objective critiques, you know, to to the film itself. So th- that would be my my kind of uh, first-part analysis there. I, I totally agree with you. I think one of the unique things about this, and it has to do with the, the time period, so I think what makes Spider Into the Spider-Verse very unique is, you know, we've had, what is it, like 20... 20 years or so? Almost 20 years of Spider-Man? Since, like, the first Spider-Man movie? The first one was, what, 2002, 2000... I believe? Yeah, so it's been, uh, what, 17? 16, 17 years, yeah, roughly? 17, yeah. So, at this point, uh, it's Spider-Man's become very, like, everywhere in the pop cultural zeitgeist. Like, we, we've seen this a lot already. We, we get the establishing story, we get his origins, with great power comes great responsibility. One of the great things about Spider-Verse is it doesn't take its audience for fools. It, it knows that we know a lot about Spider-Man, and so it shows us different iterations of that from a different cultural perspective, but also just from a weird blend of, like, seeing how these stories are similar yet also different. And so one of the um, unique things that I always thought uh, about Spider-Verse was just representation. That leads into my second point on the on the plot structure, or, like, the writing, rather, of the film overall, is that they engage the audience. Yeah, yeah. Constantly. Yes. Through that, right? So all the dialogue is there for a reason. Mm-hmm. You can kind of tell that. The interaction between him and his mother in the, in the switch, uh, the coding, right? Yeah. The language uh, switch that they have. Yeah. And the banter between that. That is something that's very engaging, you know? And as you were saying earlier, relatable. It really keeps the audience busy throughout the whole time. I, I think that's a great point as well, too. I kind of wanted to touch back on what you mentioned about the origin story. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I think it's really interesting because looking at the progression of Spider-Man, st- Spider-Man movies, between the Sam Raimi movies and the Amazing Spider-Man movies, there wasn't too big of a gap year-wise. And I think kind of the same with uh, the Amazing Spider-Man and the Spider-Man Homecoming. As there was enough... There's always a critique of everyone knows the origin story, right? Yeah. I think one some comic book... A comic book writer said it the best. He's like, there's two constants in a story, a comic book telling, and one of the constants is Uncle Ben is dead. Mm-hmm. That's always a constant in it. So I think what was really interesting in Into Spider Verse is that when they introduced the origin story of each Spider Person, mm-hmm. they did it like when they you first meet the the Peter Parker, uh, Peter B Parker, I believe is uh, yeah yeah the other like, Spider Man. Yeah. yeah, they're like, okay, here's my story, and it's that quick kind of like. 
they go, it's like they're going through the comic pages of like, yeah. this is a thing, got my power, blah, 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 blah. And they keep using that motif over and over again. So when Spider-Gwen comes up, it's like, this is my power, blah, 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 origin. And this is my, this. And, they, and they kept, they like, they're like, we, they knew that comic book fans are kind of always, they're, we know about the origin story. Yeah. And we're kind of just overloaded with it. So when they did it, they did it in a really interesting way of like, kind of like showing the origin over and over and over again. Absolutely. And I, I have to mention this because it's pretty important. I think she's also the most standout character from that comic series, which everybody loves, is uh, Spider-Gwen. Uh, I think this was technically, I think, her origin in the comics, right? Uh, the Spider, Into the Spider-Verse, if I remember right. Or no? The comics, I'm not too familiar with it. Oh, okay. Well, from my understanding, because I've read it, but it was, it's was it been a couple months. Um, I think it was the first time you introduced Gwen Stacy as a, as a Spider-Man alternate, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, her character ended up becoming kind of like the most popular from that comic line, which is why they definitely had to feature her in the Into the Spider-Verse the movie. And uh, just overall, it's a very, I think, unique take onto the Spider-Man mythos, and it gives you a different form of representation. Because, yes, we I love as much as I love Peter Parker, I was interested in seeing somebody else, which is also why Penny was also one of my favorites as well. But I think Penny was actually added from the movie, though, as compared to, like, having a whole story written okay. in the past. Yeah, I think the great thing about Gwen Stacy is that... Um, the great thing about Gwen Stacy is that before this movie, and before that whole line of her being Spider-Gwen and that introduction in the comic book mythos, she was just essentially this interest, love interest to Peter Parker who was killed. Like, that was, like, she her, was a that was her claim to fame, yeah. you know? And it was really interesting in the fact of having her be this character because it's like, oh, this is an interesting character. And what I love about her origin story is that it wasn't her uncle who died. It was her best friend who died. Who was was Peter Peter Parker. Parker. They flipped the narrative. Yeah, it was very interesting the way they did it. And also it was a little cool callback. like, I don't know if you guys played... Guys, I don't know if you guys have played any like the older Spider-Man games. Yes. I was going to bring that up at some point. So there's one game called Shattered Dimensions. Which plays into the whole idea of that there's this there I forgot the exact game plot line but there is an issue with the dimensional kind of breakdown and you play as four different Spider Mans you play as the regular Amazing Spider Man you play as the Ultimate Spider Man you play Spider Man twenty ninety nine yes which oh, had a that was fair, who's favorite. also featured in yeah. Spider Verse Yellow Hair just seeing him go back in time and argue with the nineteen like, oh, the original like yeah animated Spider Man and the voice actor Wonderful. I believe was Oscar Isaac for two thousand for twenty ninety nine yeah 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 so him doing the meme was beautiful. The, the voice acting in general for this movie oh, was phenomenal. We'll get into very that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the fourth person who was in that game was Noir Spider-Man. Or Spider-Man Spider-Man Noir. Noir. Oh, yeah. I didn't even catch that. He's okay. in it. So then <clears throat> seeing that character being represented on screen, especially it being Nick Cage. Can we just give a big cool. ups a big ups and, and cred to Nick Cage? I'm going to give him a little, a little golf cap. Just for the sake of the microphone. But Nick Cage <laughs> really... Really utilizing his talents in a in a role that doesn't highlight his terrible tax debt, but like really showcasing, <laughs> really showcasing his ability to just really own a role. And him and him and John Mulaney as Spider Ham were just beautiful. They were just beautiful casting. So, yeah. All right. So Spider Ham, he's also featured in the Spider Verse comics, but I didn't know that he had a comic before the Spider Verse line, which <laughs> makes me laugh because I'm like, who thought of Spider Ham? Apparently. He, he's been around for a little bit, and he's just as comical in his actual comic line or something as he was. Uh, it's Larry Ham, the guy who, who used to draw and, and write for G.I. Joe. Oh, uh, okay. Do you, know if, do you know if that was considered a what-if comic, or is this kind of a general comic? It had to have been a what-if comic, right? Yeah, that was interesting. A lot of people talk about the DC elsewhere, but the Spider-Man... Uh, the, the, the Marvel what ifs yeah. really kind of had this like interesting kind of line. So it's I Larry Hama. Sorry, I said Hama. Larry Hama earlier. It's Larry Hama. My bad. 
Close enough. Here's the editor. But dude, every scene of his was like something out of Looney Tunes. He's pulling out a mallet, making jokes. There was this one. So I just rewatched the movie yesterday, and I. I this is definitely a movie you can rewatch cause just for the animation alone. Oh yeah. There's a scene where um, uh, Miles is running away from his his uncle, who he realizes is the Prowler, and he's telling everybody, "Oh no, he's he's actually the Prowler, et cetera, et cetera." And um, they're like, "Were you followed?" And he's like, "I don't think so." And all of a sudden, the not the Sinister Six, but basically all the villains from the Interest by Diverse yeah. universe close in at uh, Aunt May's house. And there's this epic scene where they get into, like, battling, and I think uh, there's, like, a four-panel cut of every... of different pieces of furniture breaking. Some of it's because of fighting. One of it is, uh, I think, the tentacle of... Uh, what's her name? Dr. Octa? Uh, Olivia? No, she's Doc Ock. Doc Ock, that's what she is. Alright, just to... Sorry to interrupt right here, but... Oh, wait, wait, let me just finish. Uh, but then the, the the reason I bring it up is because there's one, the very last panel, which is the gag, which I, I totally missed the first three times around. It's Spider-Ham, and because everyone's breaking things, he takes a piece of china and just smashes it on his forehead. <laughs> and I was like, that's hilarious, and why did I not catch that the first time? What you were saying? So it's Peter Porker and the Spectacular Spider-Ham <laughs> that was published in 1983 under Marvel Tales, T A I. Oh. LS. And it also featured the Hulk Bunny and Captain America. That Captain sounds America is amazing. That sounds amazing. With Larry Halma being the creator as an editor, along with Tom DeFalco and Mark Armstrong. You actually remind me of something. So you said that was an amazing gag. If you guys can remember, what is probably your favorite gag in Spider-Verse? Because I know what mine is. <sighs> um, I'm going to need a second to think about that, so feel free to okay. if you want. So my favorite gag in the movie... It's it's very tough if you it's t- it's very easy to miss, but is when they were escaping from Doc Ock's lab when they're stealing the uh, the hard drive, mm-hmm. and before they did the infiltration, Peter Parker had pointed out that he wanted a bagel. That was part of the plan. Yeah. So on their way Peter out, Peter B. Parker. Oh yeah, Peter B. Parker. Yeah. So on the way out, they grab a bagel, and when they're running, they realize they're being chased. He throws the bagel at a villain. The bagel hits said villain. But because in the style of comic books, when the bagel hits the villain, instead of it being like a pow or kabam, it just is bagel over his head. <laughs> <laughs> and see, it's it's the aesthetic choices like that that make this movie so brilliant. Because again, it's the perfect blend of writing and, and, and animation. Um, I just remembered mine, and because it's the most obvious one for me, and it just plays off typical Spidey tropes. It's, uh, it's Miles Morales when he's trying this line that he learned from his uncle. Uh, where he puts his arm on the lady's shoulder and is just like, hey, in this, like, sexy way. Or trying to be, in an awkward teenage <laughs> way, really. Uh, but he does it on uh, Gwen, uh, who doesn't realize is Gwen. Or he knows that she's Gwen, but she doesn't realize that she's also a fellow Spider-Man. Yeah. Or Spider-Person. And uh, his hand uh, gets stuck on her hair. And I laugh because I'm just like, oh, dude, this is awkward. But uh, one of the things I love about that is, it's yes, it's a sticky hair joke, and then uh, they have to cut it, and it just ruins her hairdo, and it makes it awkward because uh, there was a lot of stakes involved because he was very romantically interested in this this also in fellow new girl and totally kind of blew his chances. But they don't cut away from it. They kind of just keep with the tension going because immediately after that, you see him walking through school, and um, it's, this, it's this brilliant um, mix of the movie of writing and, and cinematography 
where his spider sense is still technically kicking in, and he's like, nobody notices, nobody notices, everyone notices, and they show little uh, bubbles left and right of people just noticing him, but like part of it is, yes, the awkwardness of being a teenager, but another part of it is Miles just got his powers at that moment. Yeah. He had the awkward hand sticking, but he also has Spidey sense, which is kicking in at full throttle, noticing how unbelievably embarrassed embarrassing i should say the situation is so that was probably my favorite blend of the two and my favorite comedic scene that's a really beautiful kind of um example of what makes spider-man amazing yeah i mean spider-man himself as a creation reason he was so successful is because as a young kid or teenager you were able to relate to it Absolutely. he was the he was a character who not only was fighting um mass villains in his time off but also had a balance like being like the school and like acne and stuff like that so like yeah. spider has always been kind of that relatable hero so that type of thing was just really interesting in showing how even a person like miles morales who probably is cooler than a teenage peter parker but still has awkward embarrassing moments and you're able to cr- you cringe because you watch it and you realize moments where you've messed up and everyone notices you, and you go through these awkward things, and he goes like, oh, it's puberty, and it's like, oh my god, like, those moments are just so, mm-hmm. they're so spot on. Yeah. And it adapted well for Miles, because, like, you think about Pete all the time with this, and they did such a great job disti- uh, making the two characters distinct. Yes. You know, so. Uh, Jed, what about you? Any funny moments from Spider-Verse that you really like? It was definitely the appearance of both um, Spider-Noir and uh, Miguel O'Hara as Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It just, it, it caught me off guard. Um, I was really engaged with the story at the point, and then they just appeared, and I just lost it. I just <laughs> lost it in the theater. I hadn't laughed so hard in in a long time. So um, definitely those two gags were really great, and the fact that they were able to incorporate that meme at the end of the movie, too, was really brilliant. Because I was just like, oh, this is done. Like, what could they possibly do more? And then they just hit you with that. And it's so wonderfully set up. The setup of it was, like, great. They set up. Oscar Isaac's just, like, getting ready. Like, Miguel Harry just getting ready to get in their time travel to really make that difference. And then, bam, he's stuck in this, like, meme. absurdist, yeah. dystopian uh, meme. One of the best, like, credit <clears throat> scenes I've ever seen in my life. Oh. <laughs> uh, so, it's funny that you mentioned that, because there's one more gag I, I really have to mention, because it was a, be- a beautiful, beautiful gag. Uh, and there's a lot of visual gags in, in this movie, so... Uh, it's it's where... Um, well, one of the things I noticed about this, before I, I mention it, uh, is uh, the moment the movement is very fluid, because they play with the animation style, and it also highlights a lot of uh, the spider agility, I guess. Uh, so there's a lot of ch- there's a lot of chase scenes and a lot of not fight sequences as much as just running awkwardly and different Spider-Man poses and the whatnot. It basically embraces the physicality of, of Spider-Man, which I think was really beautiful. And the reason I mention that is because there's a great moment which blends everything plus the gag together, and so the gags and again in this movie very much highlighting the story and make it story relevant. Where um, Miles is at. Peter Parker, the original, his Peter Parker's funeral, yeah. and he's visiting his, uh, his tombstone, and uh, he is shocked because somebody's coming up from behind, and the silhouette is in the frame of uh, Prowler, so you think, oh no, Prowler caught him, and he freaks out, and he accidentally uses, what is it, like, electric web or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, his, one of his special abilities, Miles is a little different than the other Spider-Man, but um, he completely knocks out Peter B. Parker, and that's when we get the comic origin and stuff. And Peter, you know, gets sucked into this universe because of this, uh... What's the device called again? The, uh... I forgot what it's called, but it's essentially just the... I don't know. We'll just, we'll just call it the multidimensional portal. That's... Whatever, the portal. We'll just, I'll just say the portal for now. Uh, sorry, fellow hardcore people who are gonna be like, that's not what it's called. Anyway, uh, the point is, is, uh, he gets knocked out, but when he gets knocked out, and this is the gag, sorry, took a while to get there, um, he, uh, Peter B. Parker accidentally web-shoots Miles' gut, 
and uh, his web shooter gets stuck on Miles, and while Peter B. Parker gets knocked out. This then leads to the police arriving, and Miles trying to freak out and figure a way out of there, and I, th I forget how exactly, but he shoots one of uh, Peter's uh, B. Parker's webs, and it hits this train, mm -hmm. and then the two of them kind of just get pulled, Miles trying desperately to figure out what's going on and how to explain it, and not you know, being confused about all this, while Peter is completely unconscious. And we get this really funny uh, sequence of them getting pulled around New York City while Peter just keeps getting knocked out. <laughs> and Miles just doesn't know what to do. And it, it's just it's just one of the funniest things. And it has this really sick, epic drum beat kicking in, like, immediately in the congas. And it, it is just one of the funniest sequences I think I've seen in a long time. The name of it, by the way, is The Super Collider. The Super Collider, of there course, you go. Right? Of course, yeah. that's what it's called. Yeah. I do want to... Uh, solid name for a futuristic technology. Right? It's like a, it's like simple, but also it speaks volumes. It, yeah, you can appear in Star Trek. You can appear in... <laughs> it's like the, know, the Matrix. You can appear in whatever you want it to appear in. It'll work. It's a super collider. Well, well not necessarily <laughs> in the Matrix. That wouldn't really work. Yeah, pro, who knows? You know, the Matrix, everything works. Yeah. But one thing I really thought was well done in the movie was the use of music. Oh, yeah, hands down. I mean, the soundtrack is phenomenal. I listened to that soundtrack nonstop. But one thing that was really, really well done was in the the Prowler. So you mentioned that scene where you think it's a Prowler. They really use... They use this certain type of music that is almost like this uncomfortable, screeching, metallic yeah, music that for him. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a... Like his, like, I guess it would be his sweet theme or whatever, however you would actually say it. Yeah. But... Using that to build up tension of when potentially the prowler is going to show up was just so good. Oh, it yeah, just worked so well. Uh, uh, of all, not even just as a Spider-Man film, but just in general, this was one of the best films I've seen for sound editing and just sound effects in general. Because uh, even the interdimensional, like when people when the characters are like phasing out, yeah. they do that really loud, like weird, yeah, yeah. jumbled effect. But it, it worked really well for the story, and it gave you this high degree of tension. So like. I, I'm actually with you on this. To me, Into the Spider-Verse was a perfect movie. It's very tough. I've, I, I don't like using that word because I feel like a lot of people just throw it randomly at movies, wow. but I've seen it multiple times. I haven't seen it recently, but I've, it's enough in my mind that I remember yeah. a lot about the movie, and i talked to multiple people, and the only critiques I've heard is some people say they don't like the animation in this one style, and that's just more subjective. That's completely subjective, yeah. Yeah, but it's, it is a phenomenal movie. It's probably one of the best if not the best Spider-Man movies yeah. I mean I'm a huge Peter Parker fan so it's always tough for me to say things like that but it's it's a perfect it's I I think it's a perfect movie here's a question did you guys perceive there to be like a Spider-Man Prime within the story or no like the main Spider-Man I don't think so I think they kind of knew to avoid that because then they get into risk they even kind of messed with it because um I think they alluded to the Spider-Man in this one the main one main Peter Parker mm -hmm. uh being the one the Tobey Maguire one in fact, oh, I forgot to mention, for those who don't know this nerdy fact, that was originally the intention before they casted Chris uh, Pine. Was he Peter Parker, I think? Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the original pitch was, as a joke, they wanted to use Sam Raimi's Tobey Maguire as the main Spider-Man <laughs> who gets killed off in this one. Oh. That would have been brilliant. But I think something conflicted with schedule, and so they didn't get him. But it would have been great. And they do allude to it because they do the dancing scene in the very beginning of the movie. Where it's do, like, this is do. me, yeah, I'm a popsicle, and this is me kind of, we kind of try to forget about this, where he's doing the yeah. awkward jazz dance. Um, 
So yeah, there's just, there's just Spider-Man so that's, everywhere. So that's the blonde Spider-Man you're talking about? Yeah, blonde Spider-Man, I think, was originally supposed to be Tobey Maguire. But it just didn't work out the way that they wanted. So. Yeah, I guess in the vast aspect of a prime Spider-Man, there really is no prime Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Because even Miles Morales, I believe, if I remember correctly, and I could be wrong, so webheads, if I'm wrong, correct me, yeah. that Miles originated from the Ultimate Yes, oh, I was going to see if we could somehow fit this conversation, so I'm glad you're talking the about The ultimate this. line, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so technically Miles in that era, and that, even that Peter Parker in that probably would be more like more similar to the ultimate Peter Parker, and if Peter B. Parker could just be like a different universe. Technically the prime Spider-Man doesn't really exist in this movie, or yeah. possibly could, and it hasn't been mentioned. I I lo- uh, sorry, sorry, I love the fact that there is no... Um, Prime Prime Spider-Man because it shifts away from that hero worship model that a lot of comic books and and superhero stuff tend to you know uh, tend to propagate Uh, so I love that you know it really focuses more on the values of the development of the character as opposed to what the representation is it's interesting you mentioned the whole kind of hero worship aspect because I feel like the movie plays a huge they have a huge commentary on that actually when the spider-man of that universe is killed yeah not only do they have the tribute in times square but this whole scene where everyone's buying the masks and mm-hmm. they're buying the costume and everyone's standing together with it so it's like they really take the idea of the spider-man and having him be a hero and i think that's actually one of the interesting aspects of miles morales as a character because miles morales i feel like has always operated yet again i could be wrong webheads get me but Miles Morales has always operated in a universe where the other Spider-Man in some way or form existed. And I think what's interesting about that movie is that the comic books that we know and love of Spider-Man exist in Spider-Verse as, like, dealings with the original Spider-Man. Yeah. So a real cool thing about Miles Morales is that not only is he, as a character, is dealing with, like, the pressures of his family and society, but he's also dealing with the pressures of having to live up to the original Spider-Man. Yeah. When he realizes he can't be the original Spider-Man, he has to be his own. Yeah. But yeah, I think he'll wor- the, the idea of, like, worshipping a hero, in a lot of ways, is talked about, presented, and kind of flipped on its head when you meet Peter B. Parker, because he is the opposite of the heroic <laughs> Peter Parker. Which is amazing, yeah. So it's this, yeah, that movie just really does a great job in a lot of different aspects. Yeah. Alright, so what did you guys think about the uh, the acting, the voice acting portrayals, and the casting choices for uh, Into the Spider-Verse? I mean, it's, yet again, there's no issues. I have no issues with that. I think... Miles Morales is a great, did a great job. Yeah. I unfortunately I don't know the voice actors off my head, so I apologize. But every character I felt played their part. There was really beautiful moments. One moment that sticks out to me is his father, Jefferson Davis. Yeah. When he gives the kind of speech, and uh, opens up his heart to him on the other side of the door when he's like kind of tied up mm-hmm. on the other side of the dorm room, which I think is just really a touching moment really kind of highlights the fact of how, you know... That's Brian f- Tyree Henry. Perfect, thank you. Who's yeah. in Atlanta. Excellent. He did He did a phenomenal job. Oh, speaking of which, I forgot to mention, I think one of the screenwriters for this was the, one of the co-creators or screenwriters for Atlanta. So if you see a lot of crossovers, there you go. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. But yeah. I think he did a great job. Um, I uh, Marshall Ali as uh, Aaron Davis. Yes, he was, he really was Aaron Davis. Yeah, oh. Oscar winner Marshall Ali. They got to do this movie. Mashallah, yeah. I can't pronounce his name. No, you're good. You're good. Okay. <laughs> uh, Lily Tomlin was really great as Aunt May. John Mulaney kicked butt. Uh, here's a little unknown thing. Uh, well, not unknown, but Zoe Kravitz was really good as Mary Jane. She right? was Mary Jane. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Oh, the, uh, who would I guess be Prime? Yeah. the blonde one. Um, 
and of course Nick Cage and Leah Schreiber, right? Yeah. They always kick butt. I think um, one person who really, if I had to pick, if I had to pick one voice actor who I think did the best job in this movie, I would probably have to say Peter B. Parker. Oh well, yeah, that's because it's um, what's his face? Uh, he's from New Girl. Um, Jake Johnson. Jake Johnson. Um, you know, he excelled in the kind of, like, I don't care, I'm like, you know, past this thing, but also being able to deal with the vulnerability of being afraid of having kids and progressing in his life because superheroes, him being Spider-Man was all that he's known and loved, and also the moments of him opening up and wanting to be better and wanting to... Everything about, like, obviously a lot of it's tribute to the writing, but I think the voice acting really nailed it. I think that he, he did a fantastic job. And he probably would be my pick for the best voice actor in that movie just of delivery and emotion and the ability to really bounce everything absolutely um i i think he plays that role really well just from new girl and the other things that jake johnson is he's always played that slacker with the potential but never actually made it so for him to play a spider-man who was you know he did the he did the work but it cost him a thing and so he's kind of like on a down slump and eating a lot of pizza Uh, it just fit that character and that person perfect in my opinion um Kimiko Glenn, Penny Parker. I keep saying her because she's one of my favorite actresses and she's amazing in Orange is the New Black and uh, pretty awesome in the very tiny role that she had for what she was given. And then, of course, you can't forget, um, was it Haley Steinfeld? Who was... Uh, uh, Spider-Gwen? Spider-Gwen, yeah. She was? Okay, I didn't know yeah. that. I guess the cast was more star-studded than I thought. Yeah. It's very... She's really great. Great yeah. cast. Good cast. Yeah. Um, any other final thoughts on, uh, Into the Spider-Verse before we shift to, uh, Spider-Man for PS4? I can't wait for the sequel and the TV series that they have planned for. They have a TV series planned for. They have those four or five different ideas for spinoffs. Their, their goal is to, which I think is actually smart on Sony's part, uh, because I think Spider-Man and that whole idea of that universe could work really well as a TV show. But yeah, they have an idea of making that into a universe. They want to make it as much as they can, make more movies out of it, which is why the Spider-Ham movie is going to be, I think, the first se- uh, spinoff. They're going to do a sequel to Spider-Verse. I'm assuming Gwen Stacy or Spider-Gwen's getting her own. Spider-Women, yeah. I what think it's called, and the idea is to have Spider-Gwen, Spider-Woman, and um, the SPDRR, whatever her name is, Penny Parker. Oh, Penny Parker, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sorry. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so they want to make a whole universe out of it, which honestly was the right move for Sony. I prefer this as opposed to the shifts of things like Venom and those type of movies, but... <laughs> he doesn't want to talk about Venom. <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, but the, the beautiful thing about Spider-Man is that as a, as a hero and a rogue gallery and everything about it, it's, just, it's, it's, a, it's a rich world to explore, which I think is something that the PS4 game did a really phenomenal job about. Right. Should we so. segue in, or Jad, do you have any thoughts or no, I haven't played the game, so I'm going right. to take more of a listening role at this point. Okay, so, uh, I have to men- we have to talk about this because they were so tied together, the PS4, uh, Spider-Man video game, and Into the Spider-Verse itself. Um, for one, a lot of the costumes are actually in both. Uh, after rewatching it yesterday, um, I noticed a lot of the outfits in uh, in Spider Verse and Spider Man's little lair, Spidey lair, are costumes in in the actual video game. Yeah, the video game definitely. I think one of the things that makes Spider Man video game a, a huge success, as someone who loves Spider Man, is followed along with it, is that they're very aware of what the fans like and want. Yeah. So in addition to you know multiple suits from um, into the Spider Verse, they the game made uh, 
an effort to bring in like the Sam Raimi suit and all these other suits that you yeah. could that you can utilize. And it's really a game that's meant to kind of reward you for being a Spider-Man fan. Absolutely. Um, I will say that. All right. So if you've never played the game before, you can just play the first like ten minutes, and you'll understand why this game is phenomenal. Uh, the first, I want to say, like opening sequence is pretty much Peter Parker waking up in his apartment through his alarm, and you kind of get a thin slice of life for, for Peter's life and under establish, holy crap, this is Spider-Man, and it throws you right into the action. There's no establishment, really. It's a, he, he wakes up, he's got, like, this crazy rock music playing and stuff as, like, an alarm and kind of getting setting the tone. Uh, he's got this, uh, this piece of toast that he has a gadget attached to, which he automatically sets for toast, which is kind of, uh, that takes you into the technology side of uh, Spider-Man. Uh, you establish that he's, like, a geek, and he's, he's got... This bill for uh, his uh, his apartment, his rent is late because he's you know Peter Parker, and uh, and then he he has the uh, the other notification saying, all right, the Fisk Tower thing, you know, we need to we need to take the bad guy down. And what does he do? He, of course, he chooses to be Spider Man and, and save the day over you know paying his bills and surviving on his own, his own life. Uh, and uh, the reason I mention all that is because in the first like literally only a minute, in one of the most beautiful opening sequences, you establish Peter Parker, Spider Man, and you know what? You just he suits up, puts the web the web swingers on, and is a uh, on his wrists, and he jumps out the window, and you're automatically thrown into the game, and they teach you how to web-swing. Yeah. It's one of the most brilliant transitions I think I've seen in a video game period, because it pretty much tells you everything that this is about, who this character is, what kind of world we're in, and it throws you into the camera. Yeah, it's... As a game, it's... Uh, they did a phenomenal job with this game in really capturing the movements of Spider-Man, and not just movements as in like you actually moving around, but just everything about it. Through combat, uh, the combat system is beautiful. The ways that he moves to the city is phenomenal. And I believe I was watching an interview with the creators, and they really said that he's able to kind of improv in the way of his, how he's moving. He flows well. So if you're running straight, you're doing automatic parkour, you're shifting around. The swinging mechanisms is a very natural feel. And it's probably one of the best improvements on his movement and his mobility since Spider-Man 2, which was in uh, PS3, if I remember correctly, or PS2, the PS2 game. That yeah, yeah, yeah. PS2 game, which was one of the first games where the webs actually had to touch a building, and you actually had to use the physics of everything around you. Yeah. And I think what this Spider-Man game really does well is that utilizing how you're going to move through the buildings, you're able to do things like using your momentum to change direction and being able to utilize multiple webs in order to launch yourself or to if you're doing if you're on a certain type of altitude you can either keep your altitude maintain it or you can increase your speed and drop it so it really forces you to kind of feel it out but it's a very intuitive um transition and combination of controls and even through combat you're getting a lot of beautiful mixtures of dodging and countering and spider sense and using of webs yeah it's very similar in mechanics to uh or people have said it's similar in mechanic to uh to arkham asylum and the arkham games but uh with spider-man and i actually think that's a compliment i don't know why people are like oh that's kind of it's just arkham asylum except spider-man but the the truth is is uh, spider-man has always been a lighter toned uh comic hero compared to Batman, very obviously. Uh, and so this game very much makes you Spider-Man. It makes you calculate every decision. It gets into the lore about like how he how he knows how to swing uh, and where to shoot webs and and, uh, and basically just makes you that character. I've never seen a game where it incorporates the psychology and also the physicality of Spider-Man as much as, as this game, which is 
probably what makes it stand out uh, tr uh, tremendously. On top of that, uh, besides, like, just, and we've just been talking about gameplay mechanics in the beginning, the story. Oh my god, the story oh. is phenomenal. Um, yeah, the story, I, I can argue that the story is one of the, is, uh, should be in contention for one of the best Spider-Man movies. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> because the story, I want to say gameplay uh, story mode is probably maybe 10, 15, 20 hours max. Well, if you're trying to 100% it, it yeah. takes you more. I did that. Yeah. <laughs> but I've done it too. But the idea is that, like, as a story, it's a very interesting story. It's very, it's very uh, concise. It's very focused. And it does a very good job about introducing different aspects of his life. Like uh, like you touched upon earlier, it really talks about how he is as a person, the, the issues he's dealing with in his social life, the issues he's dealing with maintaining work, because there's different um, aspects of the game that really kind of highlight where he is in life. And it's this is not a Spider-Man that you just jumped into, as in, like, he's, this is not a Spider-Man where you're starting to learn the origin. This is a Spider-Man who's been eight years in the making. Yeah. He's been doing this for a while. Since he was 15. He's, yeah, he's at the height of his game. He knows how to do these things. So life has changed, you know? It's He's not just doing the same thing being in high school and trying to, like, figure out what life is. Like He's he, not even in college. He graduated Yeah, already. he's graduated. He's made decisions. A lot of those decisions backfired. And he's kind of trying to move through life as, you said, like a functioning human being. Yeah, and which is why that opening, I can't stress enough, that opening sequence is phenomenal and gets you right into this game because it's pretty much, you're going to Fisk Tower because you're stopping the Kingpin. But this isn't like a, oh, we're going to stop a villain of the week. These, these stories have been, uh, at least in this universe for the video game, have been kind of developing over time. And this is you taking down Fisk after literally eight years of your life trying to take this guy down. So it's a big event and you're thrown into this conflict immediately. Yeah. And it's, it's just a great feeling of like going through Fisk Tower and like, doing the final battle at the beginning of the game. And then it's like, what happens next? Well, then you become Spider-Man, which encompasses a lot of material, as you learn in this game. Yeah, and they make that battle. They put a really lot of emphasis on it, because Fisk is something he's been working for, towards for a while, but once you defeat Fisk, Fisk says this line where he goes, you're gonna miss me because I held the city together. And you're like, oh, it's just like a villain kind of saying whatever it is. But yeah. when you realize that, because of how tight a grasp Fisk had on the city, that once he's gone, it kind of leads way for different gangs and different types of villains to make their way, and kind of leaves this vacuum for a lot of people to fill. Yeah. And in that process, it gives him gives you not only uh, a variety of different villains to fight, but also kind of gives leeway for these super villains to kind of come back into the thing. One aspect of the story that's really interesting is the idea of the raft. Which oh, is yeah, yeah. super, which is like the super prison essentially. Yeah, and how these different people either escape from the raft or have or have some relation to it. So you start really being introduced to the, this rogue gallery, which, yeah. to be honest, it could be argued to be the best rogue gallery in all of comic books. I believe it's the second, uh, by a very very close margin. But it is an amazing rogue gallery that Spider-Man has. Absolutely, I think most people say Batman and then Spider-Man in terms of villain rogue which gallery. Is, for comic which books. is what I say, but it's very very. Which, even though I believe a, a Batman rogue gallery is a little bit more defi de uh, defined and fleshed out, I think the Spider-Man rogue gallery is very interesting. And what the game does that I really like is it kind of helps reinvent some of these characters. Like characters like Rhino, for example, were really interesting to see in this game because he was a man who had who not only was a bigger guy but had a kind of like a mech esque suit to him. Yeah, uh, Electro was done differently. All these different villains are kind of reimagined, so they kept the core things about their characters, but weren't completely like 
ridiculous Absolutely. and weren't completely like like their combo counterpart. Which something with the MCU that I think is really interesting because like for example the Vulture right yeah the Vulture is this character where if you know the old comics or old cartoons he's just an old man who can fly it's like it's like a weird kind of like thing he's like a, he doesn't really have like a suit but he kind yeah. of has a suit and the game kind of like fixes that up but one thing that I thought was really interested interesting with Homecoming sorry man Homecoming is how the character the Vulture actually created his ability mm-hmm. you know Michael Keaton is a, in addition to being a phenomenal actor yeah um he really his character in that movie was so well written yeah it was the idea of that he was you know, this guy who was pick who's essentially cleaning up he did a lot of, got collected junk and scraps which is a good you know, hard-working job and then after things like the incident or you know the avengers uh, battle and things like that all these different types of technology on the ground and things like that he was able to as a vulture would pick apart pieces of a dead per- of dead animal, he was able to pick up these different pieces and create his costume and kind of it's a night. Nice, I really appreciated it because it was a nice reinvention of a character. Absolutely, and I think that's something that the MCU. It's why I'm really excited about the MCU because I was a fan like everyone else about the Sam Raimi uh, yeah. Spider Man's, but there was parts of the Sam Raimi Spider Man's I was hoping for a little bit more of. Yeah, and then the Amazing Spider Man series was. Whew, it's a whole different conversation. But the MCU has really <laughs> been kind of going back to the root and also kind of giving these characters a new life, which is why I'm excited to see where they move forward. Yeah. Which is also why like, I specifically focused this podcast on uh, on Spider-Verse and the Spider-Man video game and Homecoming, obviously, because we're going to have to talk about Far From Home. Uh, because they're all very, like, within, like, a one, two-year period, and it's because they're, they're going all out with Spider-Man. If it's not obvious to you guys yet, they're pretty much doubling down on phase what is it four now four five four i think and realizing you know what we need to market spider-man as this fresh new thing even though it's been done many times so what you're seeing now is kind of a resurgence of spidey pop culture i mean it's always been there but now they're like pretty much just putting all the chips in like spider-man that's why we have all these shows and whatnot Spider-Man has always been a central character to marvel just as some people can argue that batman or superman is the face of dc Spider-Man has always been and will always be the face of Marvel. Yeah. He is Marvel. Marvel is Spider-Man. They are a symbiote. They are to have this relationship together and they will always will live that way. Yeah. And the fact that Sony has been willing to play ball and Sony realizes what they actually have with their property is kind of... It is a resurgence of Spider-Man culture, but it is kind of just... Is Spider-Man coming back to where he's supposed to be? Yeah. He's always, <laughs> he was always in the main. He was always the lead. And especially with Phase 4... How one of the things I had issues with Homecoming was how kind of involved Iron Man was in the process of bringing Peter Parker into the fold. But when it comes to kind of Far From Home, I feel that because of this, because of this impact he had on Peter Parker, that Peter Parker is is gonna take that face of Marvel. So the MCU. Iron Man was always kind of the leading face. You know, when you thought of MCU, Iron Man was the first successful movie that blew up, and Robert Downey Jr. was kind of considered the face of this MCU. Yeah. And because of the impact they made these two characters have, and even in the trailer for Far From Home, they're saying, I have to be the guy who, you know, I have to be the new Iron Man, I have to pick up the pieces. Yeah. And I think that why Spider-Man is being pushed a lot is because I feel that Peter Parker is going to be the new face of the MCU. To the point where not only are we gonna, not only does Peter Parker have a history of joining the Avengers or being an Avenger or being Avenger or the joke of like trying to be Avenger, I think he will end up probably leading the Avengers. You know what? I gotta agree with you there because right now there is a tech void in the uh, MCU, except well, I Shuri. guess Wakanda. 
would say Shuri. And yeah, 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 yeah. That is a you very know. interesting point. And I'm, I'm really upset they didn't put her as like Ironheart. I think it's still. I think we saw the potential for happen. I think we still have the potential for her being Ironheart. Even Rob Downey Jr. said we should have an Iron Heart, and I think she's the perfect choice for Iron Heart. Absolutely. But uh, back to what you were saying, yeah, I think Peter Parker is being set up to be, and it, it's it's very evident from the trailers and the one on from the little research I've done for Far From Home, uh, he's, he's being set up to be the face of uh, of Tony Stark's legacy, which is weird, but also kind of fitting because I guess the the torch gets handed down per se, right? Yeah. So he, yes, he's going. It seems like he's going the more tech savvy. Uh, what do I do about Tony and the technology and how does it incorporate in superhero world and whatnot. And it's this weird kind of juggle between the two of him. You know, he's still very much a teenager uh, and this is just post-snap or what do they call it? Blip? Post-blip uh, Avengers, uh, you know, Endgame. Uh, so it's this weird balance of like, what what do I do? How do I be the Spider-Man that, that Iron Man wanted me to be? Or how do I fill in that, that void that he was? How do I become the next Iron Man? Is very much, it seems like, to be the theme of, uh, or a theme of uh, Far, from Far From Home. I think it'll be a starting theme. I think what they'll go with is that in the process of him trying to be the new, the next Iron Man, he's going to realize he has to be the first Spider-Man. Exactly. No, that's what I meant. Yeah. Like, it seems like that's what they're setting it up, but I, yeah. that's definitely the direction I completely agree. They, I think that they're going with it. Yeah. I think it's going to focus a lot on identity. Yeah. Which is why you're also going to have Mysterio as, as the main villain. Ooh, Mysterio's Right, so I think there's going to be a big theme of identity there. How so, uh, why identity in that sense? Because he's, you know, known for putting up false images, right? Oh, yeah. So yeah. Peter could be maybe working towards this false image, what he thinks. Oh, good point. He could be building up, essentially, like a false image of what he should be. And that could be an internalized struggle, right? Again, a very uh, Spider-Man, you know, plot trope mm-hmm. device to kind of lean back on, on whether he should be that or something new, as you were saying, similarly, with the first Spider-Man, as opposed to being the next Iron Man. They did hint at the fact of Mysterio kind of taking on this mentorship role for Peter. So it could be something where the fact is that he he go he desires a mentor to kind of fill the, the Iron Man spot. But then through it, he could come to a realization that he does not need a mentorship spot. Yeah. And that's why I'm interested to see what happens with this movie. Uh, because I think Jake Gyllenhaal is actually a good casting for Mysterio. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal in anything I will watch because I just love Jake Gyllenhaal that much. He's really come into his own as an actor. I mean, Donnie Dargo, that movie just made me love him. So. It was phenomenal. But, um, yeah, no, uh, so speaking of... Take I a s- shot for every time Donnie Darko comes up when Jake Gyllenhaal's <laughs> name is mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, since we're talking about Mysterio and Far From Home now, um, <clears throat> what, what do you think is the actual plot of the story so i i so from what yeah i'll go all right let me go over what i've gathered from my little research that i've done um so oh no wikipedia has the full plot no 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 no. this is all from reading media articles because i do that for every article no I no, read no i'm saying from. i'm looking at it right now don't Maybe, spoil yourself i'm not gonna spoil it but wikipedia literally has the entire plot yeah so oh, this is sucks. for for people who have movies coming up that they're excited about <laughs> that's terrible it's something to keep in mind if a movie has been premiered anywhere else even if it's not wide release you have to be careful it's going on things like wikipedia the yeah. moment anyone has seen the movie even if they're not like just the main actors but a lot of actors that premiere with other people moment it's been the moment a movie's been premiered somewhere you have to be careful about wikipedia because some people will put the whole movie plot out there on Wikipedia, so be very careful about approaching things like that. That's crazy, but also not that surprising because I think they did the screeners for it. I believe it was either twenty four or forty eight hours. Yeah, ago. I just read a massive ass spoiler. Don't, not don't, no, 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 oh, <laughs> dude, gosh, 
No, no. No spoilers. No spoilers. Avoid no. Wikipedia. It's literally like in the beginning. Basically, never Wikipedia anything ever Dude, again. seriously. Wikipedia has to be very careful with that. Yeah. I mean, wow. you, you have to, if you go to Wikipedia, you know you're getting information. So you know Internet, like, Internet culture is what I actually, I actually semi-spilled something for myself with Endgame when I went to go watch it. I was looking up a picture of Tony Stark in the day I was going to watch it, which was opening day. And when I typed in Google, I put Tony Stark, and the first autofill was dies, yeah. and the second one was funeral. So it's like, you have to no, be extremely no, no, careful. No. Yeah, everywhere in the It internet. was bad for Endgame. But yeah, do not go to Wikipedia and be very careful about working Google in the next couple of days if you care about spoilers. For Spider-Man, yeah. For and Spider-Man. also, be a good person. Don't spoil it for people. They want to see what happens. There's an excitement to it. And don't do what I accidentally did when I watched the Endgame at like 4 in the morning, I think. Or no, the second time was at like 12 in the afternoon, which is like, I can't believe this person, whatever, whatever immediately when leaving the theater with your best friends because, you know, there's a lot of people who are walking into the theater who are about to watch the movie and you could potentially ruin a a giant plot thing. My bad, person from the uh, AMC. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so... You were that guy. Yeah, I was that guy. It's like, oh, I can't believe that happened, and then you realize... There was a joke on that, I think, on Family Guy when they were going to the Star Wars premiere, Yeah, and Peter comes out, and he's like, oh my god, I never knew he was his father! Or something like that, you know? Exactly. You were were that guy. It's it's interesting, (laughs) but, like, yeah, I think one thing that these Marvel movies have been really doing a good job with is kind of throwing us curveballs. So, I love the fact that Tom Holland has this history of spoiling things, so, like, his st- the stories and everything that's kind of leaked tend to be, like, in one direction, and, like, Marvel kind of fakes people out. Yeah. Like, Endgame, the only person who read the whole script before filming or during filming was Robert Downey Jr. No one else got the full script. That makes sense. So, it's like, so right now we're being presented with this very interesting picture of what Far From Home is, and I'm a little hesitant with some things, being a big Spider-Man fan, because, one... I'm not a big fan of Mysterio being a good guy. Mm-hmm. If this is the thing they they move with, yeah. But I guess the common like the common thing is everyone's like, "Oh, Mysterio is gonna turn and yes. become a villain," which could work. But an issue I have with a lot of Marvel, uh, with with Spider-Man movies in particular, because it kind of started this trope in in the most recent uh, recent times. Okay, is the idea of multiple villains in one movie. Oh, right, yeah. I miss the days where. And that's one thing I really love about the first Spider-Man, the Ra- Sam Raimi one. Because the there, there was one villain, yeah, and that villain took him to the limit, and it was great. Yeah, and even two, it's it was still one villain, but it was kind of murky with the way Harry was, and then Spider-Man three was a disaster. I mean, technically, the first one had another villain. It was uh, the guy who shot Uncle Ben. <laughs> that's that's that is technically true. Uh, He's a constant, though. That's yeah, constant. but like, that's but true. Homecoming kind of did dabbled in that too. You had Vulture, but then you had uh, Shocker, who's a great villain, kind yeah. of being you know just demoted to a henchman and kind of being like thrown out in a lot of ways. It, but we talked about this earlier today, just organically. Shocker, there, that technology is going to come back full circle because I don't see it being. Just a random Easter egg they threw in. I feel like it's going to be relevant, if not to this movie, then in the future. Yeah, well, the first Shocker they had was a great choice. Yeah. And I feel that one, that first Shocker was killed in Homecoming, and the second one was replaced. I felt the second guy didn't really have charisma, didn't really have anything about it. It just seemed like a very bland character who was defined by the the machine he had, where the first guy who had the, the Shocker weapons at least had a very definitive character personality. Yeah. So I'm worried now that these people that Mysterio was fighting in this new movie, which uh, some people are saying Elementals. Like the Elementals, that, I the believe elementals, is what they're calling it, yeah. So that could potentially introduce people like Hydro, who's a villain, yeah. Sandman, who's a villain, yeah. and these people. And I just don't want to see 
four or five villains or, you know, whatever it is. And yeah, so coming back full circle to what we know about this so far, it seems like it's your worst nightmare, yeah. where it's just multiple elementals, and I'm doing that in air quotes because you can't see me, you can only hear me, uh, Of and uh, Mysterio is apparently this... I guess fellows, and this isn't spoilers because it's mostly in the trailers and it, it sets it up. Or and again, we know you don't really know what to expect because they're setting it up maybe this way on purpose. Yeah. Um, and Mysterio, who's allegedly this phenomenal superhero. Now, if you look at the costume design, it's kind of questionable because he kind of looks like Thor with like a fishbowl helmet on his head or something. And <laughs> there's like a lot of elements to it, which is like okay, I see what they're doing, but I'm not sure if that's it, especially given Mysterio's nature in the comics, which is as like a special effects artists and the whatnot. Yeah. So, yes, it seems like there is going to be multiple villains, but honestly, we don't really know, because a part of... I think everyone is also saying that Mysterio, most likely, is just playing some sort of trick, because yeah. effects, and that's kind my of hope, thing. My hope is that these elementals are just all visions yeah. and effects. Yeah. Oh, and of course, it's called uh, Far From Home, because it takes place in Europe. Uh, Spider-Man goes on vacation. Yeah, he's not in New York City. He's kind of going far from home, hence the, the you know, being there. Uh, and uh, apparently Nick Fury goes and finds him during this vacation and asks him to do an Avengers-esque uh, task of some sort. We don't really know. Nick Fury, man. There's yeah. all, the, all this news going with Nick Fury now. Is it Nick or is it Fury? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, recently Sam Jackson was uh, complaining on Instagram, I think, or Twitter. Mm. Yes. Uh, so he saw posters of hi- of Nick Fury. And Nick Fury's eye patch was on the wrong eye, and he's like, "How, how the fuck did they mess this up?" Because I'm yeah. assuming that's how he said it. Yes, that's actually exactly how he said it. Yeah, and that has been causing some debate and sparking because they don't know if it's just an error or they don't know if it's tied into this other fan theory. Now, Christian, there's a couple of variations of this fan theory, yeah. but um, so, so th- Nick, yes, his eye patch was on the wrong eye, and if you've watched the animated cartoon series in the '90s, uh. A very Nick Fury literally does that in uh, in the cartoon series, and because it's it's revealed to be the chameleon, so there is a fan theory saying Nick Fury might actually be the chameleon. But there's another theory that's the more popular one going around saying that it's that is so. Judging off of what we saw with Captain Marvel, there was a scene in Captain Marvel when he was uh, when Fury and um, Carol were driving together, and Nick Fury is like, "You call me Fury." My mom calls me Fury. My friends call me Fury. My kids are going to call me Fury. Everyone calls me Fury, 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 Fury. So, like, and, like, that's a huge point in the plot. Because at one point, the, uh, one of the scrolls says, calls him Nick, and he's like, who the fuck's this guy? And in Avengers Infinity War, when he's being, when he's, a, when they snap is occurring, there's a point where Maria calls him Nick. And there's other parts in the movies where he's called Nick. So people are wondering whether that's just something that writers forgot, or this and that, or keys that maybe the Nick Fury we've been seeing recently isn't exactly Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. That potentially Nick Fury has been a scroll for a while. We don't know why, but the theory is that him and Maria Hill are scrolls. Which is interesting when the chameleon aspect was brought up, brought up because chameleon, for people who don't know, but you probably do because you're Spider Talk, is that chameleon is a shapeshifter whose shapeshifting powers are obtained through a belt he wears. But the fact that the scrolls have been introduced in MCU and the scrolls have shape-shifting abilities, that potentially we could be seeing the chameleon whose origins would be a scroll, and that would be phenomenal. And to make this even more confusing, it's again Mysterio, so we don't know what's real versus what's fake, because there's a very good chance a lot of this is fake. So they've done a great job setting this up for all speculation, because you could really go in any directions. And for other Spider-Man fans, as you know, the Clone Saga was also a thing. Who's to say that maybe they did a fake clone of Nick Fury? I don't know. 
It's a possibility. I'm just spitballing now. But the, the point is, is all these crazy fan theories, and they're all very compelling. Uh, and we're not sure what direction they're going to take it. It's... Uh, Uh, before we end, can oh. I share a uh, quote? Yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, before we end this podcast, I just want to share a Marianne Williamson quote with you. She's yeah. a poet, very famous poet, and a current presidential um, candidate, which I think would be, you know, this quote is very appropriate for, for our talk on Spider-Man. Um, Everyone feels on some level like an alien in this world because we are. We come from another realm of consciousness and long for home. Oh, that's awesome. Also, Jad, I was trying to tell you that we're not into the podcast just yet. <laughs> Maybe cut that and put that at the end. I, <laughs> but I know because you got to go soon, so that's why. I was trying to say, do you have anything else you want to say? That was it. Okay. So if you just want to cut that, put that at the end. We can, we can, you, if you want, you can edit that towards the end. Yeah. End it off. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Which is why this is really funny to me, but oh, no. that's awesome. No, 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 no. We, 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 go, fine. we always bring that back. He always say it again if we if we actually properly end before we leave. I don't at this because he's got to go like right now. So do like, you? I do have to head out in like five minutes. Oh, yeah. I want to talk about my casting stuff. No, no, no. We're still going to. Oh, okay. For those listening to the podcast, uh, as a funny joke to the brothers here, I'm not cutting any of this. So <laughs> <laughs> have fun. Well. Uh, for casual fans who actually do follow the Wordprint Podcast, you know that I host a lot of these things. And, uh, yeah, we, we were going to do Jessica Jones Part 2 and uh, kind of ran out of time. So instead we're doing Spidey Cast, or Spidey Talk. I keep calling it Spidey Cast. Spidey Talk. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of why we're doing this. Uh, but we still have a little bit more to talk about Homecoming, I guess. And then we'll, we're going to, as a fun farewell, we're going to get into um, some fun talk about potential casting for Spider-Man in the future, just for fun. And then, then we'll sign off. But, yeah. But also, Jed has to get going because he's got important and yep. stuff to do. Anyways, take care, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jed, for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks, Jed. Yeah. Yeah. So, Spider-Man is a uh, the future of this franchise is going to be very interesting. Yeah. So one of the interesting things about uh, Far From Home, it seems that. Spider-Man, you know, we just had, again, as I mentioned, we just had this epic uh, Avengers Endgame uh, blip situation. Uh, Spidey's entering this as a seasoned veteran as Spider-Man and as, you know, an Avenger who went out in space, which is kind of insane when you think about it. And they mentioned that in the trailer. Uh, so, Spider-Man, it seems like this time around, because he's going on vacation and because uh, it's kind of a different story with this really crazy five-year time gap for half of the people in all of Earth... Um, it, it, the the story is a little bit more grounded than previously before. Uh, it seems like this this time around they're going to focus more on Mary Jane and Ned's character. And so, while yes, we don't know how Mysterio is going to work, we don't know Nick Fury's plan, we don't know what's real, what's not. One thing that we do know is that this Spider-Man, this this version of it, especially given the the release date and the time frame, it's supposed to be a more intimate story. So we're supposed mm -hmm. to get a sense of Peter Parker as like a high schooler and his relationship with Mary Jane, which is a very big uh, element of this movie, as well as his relationship with Ned. Um, and I think that's a good idea because so far, yes, we've seen Spider-Man do these amazing things, but we're getting to like a more intimate, grounded approach for Spider-Man, I think, which is a very different uh, take from what we've seen so far. Yeah, it's, I think it's definitely the right move, and it's kind of the only move in some ways because our introduction to Spider-Man, especially in regards to Homecoming, was his relationship with Tony Stark, which was the connecting aspect to the MCU, but we really need 
to understand Spider-Man more as an individual. And I think his relationships to MJ and his relationship to Ned and kind of him being his own person is extremely important to the the growth of his character. Absolutely, yeah. So it um that's interesting too because we don't I think in this point you're kind of wondering who does Spider Man take on as like the new mentor? Is it a uh, is it is it going to be Fury? Is it going to be? Then I think uh, a big part of this film will be like there doesn't need to be a mentor that he's just going to yeah. come onto his own. So I really hope that's where it shifts to because um, Peter Parker's mentor was always in a way Uncle Ben, and since we're in a world where Uncle Ben is not there anymore. I think it's really important to kind of see Peter struggle on his own, which is something that I feel is he needs to do. I feel like he needs to struggle. I feel like he needs to figure out on his own because Spider-Man is a character who has not shied away from making mistakes, as like within storytelling-wise. He makes mistakes. He has relationships that get damaged. He yes. has to make tough choices, and I think we need more of that. And a mentor is nice in theory, but we really don't need it for him. Especially the way they have Spider-Man going right now, I think it's good for him to kind of make these decisions on his own. Especially the way that they send the, they sent off Robert Downey Jr. For those who haven't watched Endgame, why are you listening? Uh, but yeah, uh, that that he was such an iconic role, obviously, but he was also such an iconic mentor. He very much filled that Uncle Ben void, and now that he's completely gone, it really is Peter and just Spider-Man on his own. Uh, which is why I think we get these, these uh, relationship developments. And honestly... I personally am a big fan of Zendaya. I wasn't until the movie started coming out, and then I researched her more. I love her in Greatest Showman. I think she's on this show called Euphoria on HBO, which it's is doing new. pretty pretty well, I think. Um, I And here's another weird thing. Apparently her and Tom Holland might actually be in a relationship. I don't really know. But apparently they have very good chemistry, both on yeah. screen and off screen. So, so Zendaya, um, she's a phenomenal actress. And... When I first heard that she was MJ, it was nothing against her, per se, I guess because, in my mind, for the longest time, I always thought that Emma Stone would have been a great MJ. Oh, yeah, me too. Even before she was casted as uh, Gwen Stacy. Which was confusing for a lot of people, uh, very us people, included. Very people. Very a lot of people. It was very confusing. But, yeah. Zendai was interesting, and I think her take of MJ is interesting. So, with me, I'm... I like... as If you're adapting a character, switching up characters, as long as the essence of what that character is... Is, is still there. I think it works. I think MJ has always been a character who believed in herself and was very strong in her convictions. Mm -hmm. I think that even though Zendaya's character was kind of more of like the sarcastic kind of like, you know, snar like a little bit snippy and like yeah. that, I think it still hits that kind of main beat of like she's someone who kind of knows herself and yeah. uh, is very strong in it. So I like this progression of her. And that makes her very attractive, at least I yeah. think so, yeah. Yeah, and especially for... Uh, MJ is always MJ has always had the ability of... It's like the, the classic line, go get him, tiger. You know, it's yeah. like the idea is like... That line says a lot. It's the idea of uh, empowerment. It's the idea of, like, being able to um, build up the person that you know, Peter Parker is. Because Peter Parker, for all his craziness, MJ, for the longest time, has been his constant. Which leads to a lot of issues they have down the line. And, like, a lot of plot points and, you know relationship hurdles but it's always this kind of person who is on top of their game yeah that's what mj is yeah. and even in the homecoming she made things she'll like always call out peter parker and make fun of him in a way yeah but it was a kind of nice and sweet and when you see like the kind of motivation behind it so i think zendaya is gonna she's just gonna do a great job in this movie and uh, i saw a small clip they did like a little teaser where it was her swinging with peter for the first time oh my it was, gosh it was hysterical it was so funny she's just like 
I'm never doing that again. It's like, <laughs> you're definitely going to be doing that again. Because you're, you're, <laughs> you're Mary Jane and he's Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm a big fan of the two of them, especially together. It, yeah. I'm kind of a nerdy fanboy in that sense. Because um, I, I just gush when I see their romance budding. Also, I'm Tom Holland like, is a phenomenal Spider-Man. Every, like, he is just... I think he's probably... There's certain actors over the years who really hit both sides of the superhero. And I mean, like, the secret identity mm-hmm. and then the actual superhero themselves. And I feel few actors really handle both sides perfectly. And I feel like he really has done that. Like, Tobey Maguire is phenomenal. I have no issue with Tobey Maguire. But Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man was a more serious Spider-Man. He wasn't as jokey. Yeah. Um, it was different, but definitely some... They definitely doubled down a lot of the awkwardness. Yeah. Um, and Andrew Garfield had a lot of issues, in my mind, a lot of issues with his Spider-Man. A lot of, some of it was writing, but a lot of it was just... It just didn't work. It felt like it never gelled with him. Where Tom Holland has the awkwardness, he has the innocence, he has the tenacity... And the humor rolls off so well with him. So, yeah, I actually... Alright, here's the thing. I wasn't the biggest fan of Amazing Spider-Man and the sequel. Um, but for me, it was the writing. It wasn't uh, the casting choice. It was definitely... I mean, the writing was definitely the worst part of that movie. I mean, there's no way you could... There's no way you could... Yeah. No, I, I remember watching that movie and was so furious afterwards. I mean, a lot of people liked that first one. Personally, I didn't, but it's mostly because... Here's well, the first, thing. That first one was trash. I'm sorry. Amazing Spider-Man? Spider-Man? Yeah, it's Amazing people Spider-Man. People loved that one. They hated the second one, which is weird because I actually kind of like the second one. I didn't watch Not, the second one. I didn't love it, but I thought it was better than the first one, yeah. which is just tells you how high I rate both. But um, one of the things I didn't think was too bad, I didn't think Garfield did a bad job with the character. I thought the way that he was written was complete garbage, though. Because they had like a friggin' uh, Facebook Mark Zuckerberg uh, guy who was, was too a, cool. He was he, too cool. Yeah, it's. And I think the issue is that the Peter Parker, the thing that makes Peter Parker great as a character is that his intelligence is his biggest strength, but it's also the fact that like he can't connect with people. Yeah. And that's what kind of makes him this awkward little kid is the fact that like not only is he dealing with trauma and stuff like that, he's he is thinking of things on a different level in some ways. And absolutely. And you know what else it is too? Humbleness. Like, yeah. uh, Peter Parker or Spider-Man is supposed to be humble. I mean, come on. With great power yeah. comes great responsibility. So, that yeah. amazing Spider-Man was not shy about no. show- showing off. Left it was, the, the Peter Parker was this lonely skater boy that just didn't work. Yeah. And I think where I had issues with Garfield was that when the actual, when he was actually Spider-Man, they had written the quips for him, but it just the selling wasn't... I feel like he didn't do a great job with selling the lines. See, here's the thing. I agree with you, but a lot of people disagree with us. They think they thought that that was the best part about him, was that well, he was a funny Spider-Man. And I'm like, I thought all the Spider-Man were funny personally, but okay. Yeah, it's Tom Holland is really the one who's I think, is hitting both parts of it amazingly. Com- yes, coming full circle, Yeah, 100% agree. Tom Holland is killing it left and right. He's he, he does a lot of... If you don't know this, he does a lot of his own stunts. He yeah. does the actual parkour. And the fact that he's constantly known for spoiling things, I feel like is so in character of who Spider-Man is. Because huh. Spider-Man would just be... The, Spider-Man's this teen who's just really excited. It's like, oh, this is... Oh, I didn't mean to say that. Shit. It's like, so yeah. that's, I think, is perfect for what it is. Yeah, he, he really is that character through and through. The way that Robert yeah. Downey Jr. is Iron Man, I think we've hit a point where Tom Holland is Spider-Man. And that's coming yeah. from the biggest Tobey Maguire Spider-Man fan you can imagine. Oh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man was a, was a huge part of my childhood. No, same here. And it's nothing, it's nothing against Tobey Maguire. So I think just different that, eras. Yeah, it's different eras and things have progressed. And, you know, Tobey Maguire was the Spider-Man he needed to be. And Tom Holland, I think, is the Spider-Man that 
everyone needs him to be. Right now, especially. And, yeah. And I, I want to see as many movies with Tom Holland as possible. I want to see... Yeah. And, you know, and so, as long as Peter Parker is a character, I want him to be Peter Parker. <laughs> uh, I whole, wholeheartedly uh, agree with you on that. Um, yeah. Uh, so, I think... Have we pretty much hit all the Homecoming stuff? Let me just double check. Or Far From Home stuff, I mean? Yeah, uh, Yeah, I think the last thing is just kind of... Uh... Oh, uh, so Bassam doesn't know this, and I was going to surprise you guys, but um, for those who don't know, for Far From Home, mm-hmm. stay for all the post-credits. You will be rewarded, especially if you're listening to... Or are fans of Spider-Man, and are listening to this podcast for that reason, because, um, yeah, you'll be very rewarded. But that's all I'm gonna say. So yes. So you so you know what the scene is. I I know the post credits because I was researching and they mentioned them. And let me just say, as a Spider-Man fan, which both of us are, and and everyone listening to this podcast obviously is, yes, or just a fan of me and and the Workprint podcast. um, (laughs) Thank you. I'm a fan. Thank you guys. Um, Yeah, uh, you're gonna be rewarded hardcore, like (laughs) to a level of. It's hard for me not to spoil it for Bassam and Jad when he was here, because I wanted to be like, did you guys know that what they're setting up and stuff? But that, that's my excited voice. Um, yeah, it's it's amazing. Uh, check it out. Stay for every scene. Stay for the whole thing and love love the movie. Uh, oh, for those God. who are interested, critic-wise, it's a 90% uh, fresh in Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, not that I follow that all religiously, yeah. but if you're interested in it. It's a good movie. Uh, everyone's saying that. Yeah, I've only heard amazing things about it so far. Yeah. I've heard people saying that if you like Spider-Man and you love Spider-Man, that this movie, you're automatically going to love it. The only negative critique I really caught amongst reviewers was that they were like, it's too intimate of a story with Spider-Man and his friends. And I'm like, that's dumb because that's a great we need that right now, especially after all the craziness that we've just found. Yeah, I feel, like, I feel like so with some people, and I remember uh, when the movie Incredible Hulk came out. Yeah. I was a big fan of it. A lot of people weren't. And I feel like if you don't engage a lot, if you shift away from engaging with the superhero side and you focus on the personal relationships, that a lot of fans will get upset. It was a Hulk movie, but there barely was any Hulk. But it's like, okay, a Spider-Man movie where the focus is on the relationship of friendships and like romance, like that's who Peter Parker is, man. He yeah. gets that's what anchors him down when he's busy trying to save the you know New York. Yeah, like, that's one of the things I love about Spidey, man, is that heart. He's definitely one of the most, like, heart-forming superheroes. And, yeah, dude. We are yeah. Spider-Man. Like, Spider-Man is everyone. He's all of us. And that scene oh. in, uh, in Spider-Verse when everyone's wearing the Spider-Man mask and they're yeah. being tribute, like, that's what it feels like. He's that character who gives... You know, a lot of people, you know, depending on what their relationships with comics is, they, you know, it was an escape for, you know escape from real life or a kind of a way to find a community and things like that. Spider-Man was a character who I really connected with as a kid. So it's like that relationship and that personal relationship, everything that makes Peter Parker who he is, is so important. So it is. and honest- Give me all the relationships. Yeah, and honestly, like, I similar experience as a kid, like Spider-Man, the, those early movies, and just that character in general in the animated series, it made me believe in myself as a person. Exactly. And that's a big deal when you're an awkward kid, so... 100%. It made me realize that, like, you know, you, you are what you need, in a way. Yeah. And um, even now, even being an older man, I still see myself... I still see the inspiration in it, and I'm like, ugh. 
it's like every time I'm late and I'm terrible with my time, I just think of like, <laughs> like yeah. Spider-Man can work through it. I can work through it. Yeah. So. I, yeah, watch anything Spider-Man related is very enlightening. And also, it makes you responsible. Because with great power, as we know, comes great responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. So, moving forward, I want to see as many Spider-Man movies as I possibly can. Which, and I think what it comes down to is like, so far we've had some great villains since, yes. since he's come into the MCU. I guess we should shift to the final phase of our podcast, right? Yeah, yeah okay. sure. I forgot we should do little like headers. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, it's okay. It also just helps with cutting uh, or editing, I should say. All right, so for this last part of the podcast, which is the fun part, uh, Basam and I are just going to shoot the shizzle. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's a phrase. With uh, who would we would like to see casted for different villains and characters in uh, Spider-Man universe. Yeah, so yeah. We're, shooting, we're shooting our web out here. For the MCU, of course. Though. Of course, yeah. 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 So, okay, so I think... Um, we should probably, honestly, looking at the way the MCU is working, we've been introducing people who are part of the Sinister Six. So I think the first thing we should do is talk about who potentially could be in the original Sinister Six. So we, do you think we're going in that direction? I think so. I mean, here's the thing. I've not, we've not seen a successful one done in live action. They tried so hard with Amazing Spider-Man they, 2. They rushed so hard with it, too. <laughs> uh, Fair enough. But I think that Marvel can do it. And I, that's why I want them to do it because I feel like because right now we have a, we have an amazing vulture, yes. Michael Keaton. Yeah, hands like down. He was phenomenal. Yeah. And Jake Hall is a great actor, so I'm, I, I think we're just assuming he's gonna be awesome. I'm gonna be really sad yeah. if he's not. Yeah, I mean it's it's very tough, but I feel like I the the work he's been putting in recently in his movies. I think he can do a good job with uh, Mysterio because Mysterio is a character who doesn't really have. I mean, down the line he has some mental issues, but like uh, the Quentin Beck character who i believe is what they're doing in mysterio yeah. is uh is a you know a special effects guy he kind of is a little bit more of like he's very determined yeah very so i think i think joan hall can take it and make it his own which i'm perfectly fine with yeah, yeah. and we also have the introduction of the scorpion so i just feel like sinister six is laying the groundwork wait they introduced scorpion scorpion was introduced in homecoming so he um he's there's two parts of him being in homecoming the first part is that he's buying the weapons off of ultra off the boat Oh, no, no, you're right, yes. And then the second part is him being in the prison where he wants to get back a Spider-Man. And he has... You know he's Scorpion because he's a giant scorpion tattoo on his neck. Yes, Uh, that's right. Very subtle. And then I forgot with you, they they set up... uh, The Shocker set up too, and now you have Vulture. So yeah, and now we have Mysterio. Oh my gosh, yeah, you're right. Okay, so it's going to be interesting to see... Sinister Six is definitely happening, guys. This is the the original Sinister Six makeup because okay. everyone has a different interpretations the ps4 spider-man had its own different sinister six yeah. they had power was it power man or something negative man negative yeah. man and they also so the original sinister six if you're going to comic books this is the lineup doc ock vulture scorpion mysterio sandman electro and craven it's one two three four five six what one second one two three four five six yeah Am I missing? Did I say seven people? Let me double check that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but the original six, a Sinister Six, is started up through Doc Ock. He is a person who gets everyone kind of together, which will be interesting if they want to do that in the movies. I, I don't. That's the thing is, is like I'm sold on Sinister Six. I don't think it's going to be Doc Ock though, because I feel like he's too good of a character to have him not get his own movie. It's. It's very... I don't know what they're... See, here's the thing. I understand that the concepts of a standalone villain uh, movie. Yeah. But I just don't want to see that. 
I just don't really want to see that. I'd rather that person... And that's why I kind of touched back to the original of, like, having too many villains in one movie. Yeah. I like having one villain in one movie because you really get to sit with that character. And that's one yeah. thing the, the first Spider-Man Sam Raimi movie did great is that... Well, the same with the second one. The second one did a great job with that Doc Ock. Yes, Doc Ock was phenomenal, but you started getting the, the, the inkling of the Harry turn. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You started getting some of that, but yeah. And also the thing is with Doc... Yeah, I mean, Spider-Man 2 is also phenomenal. Yeah. So Spider-Man, Electro, Craven, Mysterio, Sandman, and Vulture. No, you mean Doc Ock? What did I say? You said Spider-Man. I said Spider-Man twice. Yeah. All right. So it's one more time for the fan, for the people at home because I'm a I'm a, I'm broken right now. Doc Ock, Electro, Craven, Mysterio, Sandman, Vulture. Yes. Okay. All of whom we have seen in some iteration, I believe, and to some, yeah, yeah, in either the in most of the movies, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Scorpion... So Scorpion is actually not in the original um, Sinister Six, which is interesting. Yeah. So we'll see what happens if he is included in that. I feel so like he is. He probably will be. Yeah. But, you know, the guy who plays Scorpion right now, his name is Michael Mando. Yeah. And uh, he's done a little bit of work in the movie, so I'm curious to see where he goes with that. Okay. Uh, but let's introduce some other people and talk about who we think can possibly be... Um, those characters. Those characters. So we have Vulture down, we have... If Scorpion's evolved, if Scorpion down, mm-hmm. um, and then Mysterio will be Jake John Hall. Mm-hmm. So that's three. So that's three right there. Um, let's talk about someone like a Doc Ock. Okay. Who do you think could be good Doc Ock? Because this this is actually probably the toughest. I've this is probably the toughest one I had uh, with finding a good person to cast. I was gonna say. I'll be honest. I don't remember what we wrote down, but you have the list. But I do remember. I do remember. Um, last second, it popped in my head. Uh, and this is the reason I said that the, what I did about that. Uh, what I said about Doc Ock. Brian Cranston. I think Brian Cranston would be an amazing Doc Ock if you had a full story for uh, to set it up because his character in Breaking Bad, his and Doctor Octavius, very similar character arcs of a good guy turned bad for what they want or need. Um, so yeah, that my choice would be Brian Cranston. That is it's a good choice. I do I do uh, I can see it. Um, my choice actually, and people are gonna be a little weary about this because he was involved in a different Spider-Man movie, but I think Paul Giamatti. I think Paul Giamatti <laughs> could be. A great Doc Ock, and there's a couple reasons why. One, Doc Ock is kind of like this—he's kind of a small, stocky older man, which is why the the ability to have these claw, these arms, is very tempting for him. Yeah. To kind of give him an advantage, and I think Alfred Molina did a great job with it, which is why I think it was tough for me to find someone different. Yeah. But I think Paul Giamatti has a—I um, think he can deliver a a person with tenacity, a person with a, a hunger to improve. And a person who is determined to, um, you know, show people that, that they're wrong. Yeah. And I feel that those abilities can really translate to him being a phenomenal Doc Ock if it's written well, obviously. Which is the kind of the preface for all these characters. But that's why I really think could be the, I guess, the head of the Sinister Six in a, in a way. Yeah. yeah. Ways. I, can, I can see that happening. Um, I just like... Well, no, I didn't really like him as a Rhino. He was kind of just a throwaway guy. Oh, yeah, I, was, I mean, that's, that was horrible. I mean, that's the issue with the Rhinos. They tried making... I, I, I've not seen uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2, but in the small clip I saw that burned my eyes, um, <laughs> he was just in this giant mech suit, which I, I guess is the one way to try to get around the Rhino character, because he's a little ridiculous when you look at him, but... Some iterations just... are him in the suit. Some of them are just him being naturally strong. It depends yeah. on which Rhino you're looking at, really. That makes sense. Yeah. I guess I'm more a fan of the classic Rhino, but... So that's well. Speaking of Rhino, let's just see who we would want to do as Rhino. Oh, okay. So, um, so me, you, you, and me, I guess had different uh, people who we thought would be good for Rhino. 
Um, and I had, oh, um, right. so I'm going to definitely mispronounce his name, but everyone knows him. Uh, Joe Ma- uh, Magnioli? Yes. Magnolio? Magnolio, um, yeah. Yeah, the, the guy who always messes up names. But he's he he's playing currently uh, Deathstroke in the DC Universe. Yes, and he's amazing in that yeah, role. Yeah, he's in uh, Magic Mike, he was in True Blood, mm-hmm. and he's also known as being just like this kind of great guy, and kind of like an uber geek, because he plays D&D and stuff like that, so that gives a lot of like, people like pop culture reference who he is. And he's amazingly in shape. He's just like, just a phenomenal, uh, you know, actor in like bouncing physical presence and also personality and charisma and you put a lot of thought into this as compared to my answer yes i put a lot of thought in this because um there is so, okay so i was tempted to go with just finding a big bulking guy um but the one thing i really like about my characters is like a bit of like authenticity and i think an example that kind of came to mind is a colossus in the x-men movies so if you if you have not burned your burned it out of your memory in x-men 3 there was uh, X-Men 2 and 3, I guess. There was a guy who played Colossus who looked giant and big, but when he talked, he just sounded like a normal guy. And it's like, no, Colossus is supposed to be this Russian guy. Yeah. And I thought it was really And then when Deadpool did it, I thought they did a really good job with him. Yeah. So I wanted to find someone who could have a t- who could have the chops to act as well. So I think that jo- I think that Joe is my choice for, yeah. um, for the Rhino. I went with the pure beefcake muscle thing <laughs> without any second thought. Uh, and I went with uh, the mountain from Game of Thrones. Uh, yes, affectionately nicknamed Thor. Yeah, uh, Halfer Julius Brumson. He's <laughs> I can't pronounce it. I'm just gonna call him the mountain. He's the mountain yeah. from Game of Thrones. I'm sure everyone knows yeah. him at this point because he's a very popular guy now. Yeah, and he's yeah. also like one of the biggest, uh, one of the world's strongest men or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he. I think he finished sixth in the two. So I was looking up earlier today because I was considering him as, as a choice as well. Yeah, he was like sixth in one of the world's strongest man competitions. He can. Bench press five hundred and two pounds, which is the equivalent of a full size grizzly bear. So I guess if I if I had, if I had to take if I had to take a hit on the acting chops, I think he would definitely be a good uh, a good thing for the rhino. I mean, to me, rhino is just I'm muscular and I have some New York accent or an Italian accent, one of the two. It's usually, the I think New he's York Russian. Accent. That's like the weird. Oh, thing he's about Russian. It. Yeah, it's so strange. Okay, see, I don't. He has an accent. I'm sorry. I'm really yeah. bad with accents, and it's horrible as a screenwriter. But the point is, he's just a big dude with an accent, which yeah. fits. The mountain, because he's also got an accent, I assume. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's, he's from, I want to say he's from Norway or Sweden. He's from Scandinavia. Yeah, yeah so there you go, area. so there you go, yeah. Sorry to all our Scandinavian people who I just grouped into one thing. I'd be surprised. This podcast hits internationally somehow. <laughs> Hello, international webhebs. Yeah, I have in, no idea who listened to that. Uh, I hope you're not far from home. Yeah. <laughs> Thank so, you, whoever listened from the Happy Podcast, because that was a lot of international looks. Um, anyway. So, um, okay, let's go on to another person. Uh, you and me, kind of, I, I read to you who I wanted, and you said yes. Yes, yes. Yes. How many times yes. Uh, Electro. So, if we, were right. to, if we were to put Electro in the movie, I think Alan Tudyk would be a great choice for him. I don't hardly, like, I wholeheartedly agree. Alan Tudyk is one of my favorite actors, just period. Yeah. And, and I think he'd be great. He's been really, uh, if you haven't watched it, you should watch it before they cancel it. You should watch Doom Patrol. He's phenomenal in Doom Patrol. And keep an eye out, because I will talk about uh, my love for Doom Patrol, but Alan Tudyk does a phenomenal job on that show. And he is just he just kind of reminds us how good of an actor he is. Uh, he's amazing as Danger Boat in The Tick, where he plays a boat, and he's amazing <laughs> in Firefly. Yes. He's amazing in Con Man. If you're a Comic-Con fan, you have to watch Con Man. Alan Tudyk's comedy series is hilarious. It's, he's basically playing himself. Uh, years after Firefly, unable to escape the Firefly role as a struggling actor, and it's it's fantastic. Um, 
Any, he's in Star Wars as well. But I'm just going to keep spinning yeah. out. But basically, anything Alan Tudyk does, I love. And I thought him as Electro was a perfect just call. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, so if Scorpion's in the Sinner Six, we probably will not have some of the original people. But like, here's a potential original one who could make his appearance, reappearance in Spider-Man. And it's Sandman. Oh, right. So as, as people might unfortunately remember in Spider-Man 3... Sandman was played by uh, Thomas Hayden Church, I believe his name is, mm-hmm. who is a good actor. It's just that I felt that movie just kind of did a, dropped the ball with him. So I figured <laughs> this is going to be one of my stranger ones, but I feel like it could work, and I think it could be a very interesting twist with the character. I feel like Keegan-Michael Key should play Sandman. I I like that call, actually. Um, I think he has a very interesting physique, which uh, and I think Sandman's a character with physique could be very... Uh, very um, beneficial because the way the sand will manipulate. Yeah. I think he's a very physical actor. Mm-hmm. And even though I he, mostly seen him in comedic performances, I know he's done things like Fargo and he's done other shows. And I feel like he probably has a good range and could develop and could perf- uh, and that he could deliver a, a solid performance, especially if it's in like a Sinister Six um, ensemble piece or something like that. I can see that. Yeah. Uh, here's one that you and me have also differed on, and it's uh, one of my favorite Spider-Man uh, villains, and one that a lot of people, the casual Spider-Man fans, don't know. I've actually talked to some people who I thought knew, and they're like, they would never heard of him. Craven the Hunter. <laughs> he is a phenomenal character. Uh, he is he is a big game hunter yep. who wants to hunt Spider-Man. It's very simple, but he is just as phenomenal character to watch especially when he's trying to trap Spider-Man yeah. and really hunt him down yeah and um, yeah so this is an interesting one because I actually had a lot of trouble casting him yeah because a lot of people I would, I'd consider for either fit in different roles or might be a little bit older no, excuse me I figured like if there was an older Craven, maybe someone like a Gerard Butler could be very interesting that'd be cool huh? uh, you had a, a pick for Craven. Yeah, I did, and it was... Oh, right! <laughs> I forgot. It's uh, Pedro Pascal. Uh, yeah. I loved him, and it's funny, I didn't realize I picked two Game of Thrones characters, but he... You picked two opposite Game of Thrones characters, I did. Oh my god, I did! I didn't even think about it. I picked the Mountain and the Viper. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Pedro Pascal would be amazing as Craven the Hunter, mostly because I think he has that look with the little mustache and everything, and yeah. also, he's he's a really awesome actor, just in general. He has I very, think you'd fit that role. He played really well. And then also, Tom Holland suggested someone for the Craven, uh, for the Craven, the Craven, yeah. for Craven, and ever since he said it, I can't unsee it now. So I think it just has to happen. And Jason Momoa. He said Jason Momoa would be a great Craven, and I was like, ooh, and then I was like, wait, this is kind of perfect. And if you go on Google and you type in Craven the Hunter, every fan has beat us to it and made pretty much amazing fan art as J- of Jason Momoa as Craven. And I don't believe in a, if you're in DC, you have to do one or the other. Like I feel people can cross over, and I think that Jason Momoa as Craven would be phenomenal, especially Tom Holland playing off of him. I, in a in a perfect world, I completely agree. Momoa as Craven the Hunter would be, would be crazy It'd good, be so good. But the problem is, he's Aquaman. It's so hard to not. Have yeah, to be but it's Aquaman. like, you know, who cares though? Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> um. So okay. So here's some other Master characters. of Land and Sea. Oh my God. There sorry. You go. Yeah, that's yeah, it's perfect. Momoa. Yeah. We're here. We're here. We're here with Momoa. Yeah, I, I'm doubling down. Uh, um. <laughs> So, actually, my perfect casting for Jason Momoa that the ship has passed would have been Lobo. Oh, I Lobo think, would have been pretty cool, yeah. I think he would have been the absolute perfect Lobo. Yeah. But now yeah. that he's cast as Aquaman, that, is, that cannot be done anymore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Lobo would have been amazing for Moa. 
hands down. Uh, here's some other villains um, that who maybe not technically considered with Sinister Six, but could be just in the route, uh, just in the realm of the Spider-Man gallery. Mm-hmm. And we'll go through them relatively quickly. Um, we mentioned earlier the chameleon mm-hmm. being a person, and I think the perfect person to play the chameleon would be Killian Murphy. Oh wow! Who um, has proven his acting chops? Has done his fair share of uh, comic book and other roles in DC with uh, with Christopher Nolan. Yeah, and Scarecrow, which was phenomenal. Also, his other roles that he's done in a lot of other Nolan films. I think he could be a phenomenal choice for the the the, the chameleon. He's a very distinct look, and he has a good range as an actor. I think that could be very good. No, I I agree with you. There's only one person who pops to mind that I could think of that wouldn't uh, that could outdo him. Give me one second, because I'm my brain is there. My choice for the chameleon would be Gary Oldman, because he could be anyone. Oh, that's ooh, that's interesting. Gary yeah. Oldman has is is pretty much praised for his ability to transform into anything. So yep, I can definitely see that, especially if it's going to be older chameleon. I, I can give you that. Yeah, I still prefer mine. But I can give you that. Yeah, I, I just think he just like pop into and it's just it's just Gary Oldman. And, yeah, you know, a also <laughs> there, there's there's also been talks of uh, Green Goblin being introduced soon, and so really? people have been okay. So two people who've been actually like rumored. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. One of them is so okay. So have you you seen Ant Man and the Wasp? Yeah. So you know the the, the dealer. The guy who wants to buy the the quantum yes, things. Yes, yes. He's guy. apparently pegged as one person to really? be. I'm not too big fan of Norman for him as Norman. And the other yeah. one who's bringing a lot of intrigue is from Walking Dead. The guy who played the governor. Oh, yeah. um, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. my choice for Norman Osborn would be Walking Phoenix. Oh. And I think that he could be a phenomenal choice. Mm. Uh, he would be, but like Joker. How would you do that? I know it's it's, it's, just, it's just crossing again, especially right? especially yeah. especially with that Joker. Uh, that is a standalone movie essentially. So yeah. D- actually, DC what they're doing, which is interesting, since their shared universe is failing horribly, is mm-hmm. that they're just kind of embracing the aspect of different separate stories. Yeah, which I, I think that's cool. Yeah. Um, My choice for Green Goblin, which yes. I'm just gonna throw one in there. Sure, please. Would be William Dafoe Part Two. Ah, oh, William Dafoe. Listen, William Dafoe. That man has my heart because I loved him. In uh, a lot of people prefer Spider Man Two as a better movie. And I understand completely why, but Willem Dafoe's performance in Spider-Man 1 is just so... Uh, I think he he walks the line of ridiculous and, like, demented. And I think it's so perfect for that character. He is I the Emerald really, Ranger. Oh, he's so, so amazing. So good. That costume was ridiculous. It was so, the Emerald Ranger. Yeah, yeah, but it was so good. I think he's phenomenal. I, I would love to see him come back. And I think him being older only makes it better. But that's Speaking of a reprise... Um, no, that's right. I don't remember. Maybe reprise. I don't know. Repeat. Webheads. <laughs> Webheads. Webheads. Who uh, who like grammar? Replace. Yeah. Uh, please. Who please. like the Webster's dictionary? <laughs> please, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, bring back J.K. Simmons as Jonah Jameson. I I tried. I've tried hard um, to think of someone to replace him, but as long as he's able to do it. And um, I just can't think of anyone better. And it's really sad, because I tried to think of someone better than him. I mean, that's one of the things I loved about the, the Spider-Man uh, video game for PS4, is that, that Joe Jonah Jameson was basically a pun of uh, of uh, Breitbart News and whatnot, and that one guy who was just yelling in the microphone. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, uh... That being said, because of watching that, 
I also can't think of anybody who could do a better job yeah. than J.K. Simmons. As... I saw a rumor thing on Google that like someone said maybe J.B. Smooth. Who's that? J.B. Smooth is a comedian, and he's uh, he has a very bombastic personality. I think he could be an interesting take on it, but I just feel that... I feel like J.K. J.K. Simmons is so perfectly casted. I can't think of any character more perfectly casted. He loves playing him, and I think he did a cameo recently uh, of of that character. It was like on a website or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like on on somebody's podcast, I believe. It was so good. Uh, A couple. I have two two more people. Yeah, and then after that we'll sign out. Yeah, we're running kind of long. (laughs) No, it makes sense. Well, Spider Man can talk for days. Yeah. So uh, I'll I'll give you a quick. I actually technically three because we talked about these people yeah, before. Three. three villains and maybe potential new Spider-Man. Who knows? Um, what? Blasphemy. What? Okay, go ahead. Okay, so Hobgoblin, okay. Nick Cage. I, think. <laughs> I see it. You don't yeah. have to say anything. Just say Nick Cage <laughs> and then somebody insert an angry Nick Cage meme here and you're good. Yeah, I get it. Not the best. Yeah. Uh, Silver Sable, who, is, uh, who has been, uh, I guess, popularized through the video game. Yeah, yeah. I think that Amelia Clark could be good Silver Sable. Ooh, yeah. that's a good choice. I think she could. I love her. Yeah. Uh, I think she was. Uh, I, th- I think she's a great actress. And besides Game of Thrones, she's been kind of striking out recently in other roles, like the yeah. ter- terrible Terminator. Yeah. I think she could be good sa- Silver Sable. I mean, and, her with the. I honestly like her look with the silver hair more than her actual like. Yeah, actual she really hair. rocks that like yeah. platinum white blonde. Yeah, so her silver sable would be pretty yeah. dope. And then here's one that you me differed on uh, greatly, and actually something that we both love this character so much. Oh Black gosh, Cat. we're getting there. Yeah, Black okay. Cat, Black Cat, Black so, Cat. We when, we when the song first mentioned this. I wasted so much time just deciding who would be a good black cat. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, let's go over villains and stuff. And I'm like, I just was obsessed over who would be yeah. a black cat. So, be, yeah. so I, I decided on myself, Chloe Grace uh, Moretz from yes. Kick-Ass and other uh, things. Girl. I th- yeah, I think she could be a very good kind of foil to a Tom Holland Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, for me... <laughs> wow, I, I picked that many, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, alright, so in order of priority, who I'd actually pick... Ellie Fanning? Just Google search the image and tell me that's not Felicia Hardy. She looks the part. I've never seen her act anything, so I can't say anything. I mean, she's Dakota Fanning's sister. I assume she's got some chops, right? So, Ellie Fanning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Ellie Fanning, just by looks alone, Felicia Hardy to me. But uh, I had two other big choices. One was Carmen Bicandova, whose name I'm awful at pronouncing, but you'll remember her as... Catwoman in the Gotham TV series. Yeah. I think she's like the perfect age, and she's apparently a dancer, so she could probably do a lot of the physical yeah, things but, for Black Cat. I mean, Catwoman and Black Cat have very, very similar similar aspects and traits of their characters, so it wouldn't be too far of a stretch. I just don't associate with Gotham, because after I saw the pilot, I wanted to slap the closest person next to me. <laughs> and, uh, I never continued while watching it. I'm very decisive in my superhero stuff. That was also one that... Uh, as a, a fun side story for like a thirty seconds, um, there's an episode of Gotham where the serial killer and villain that introduced at the beginning is uh, he, he he takes people out via weather balloon <laughs> and he straps a weather balloon onto his victims and they slowly, I guess, rise to death until eventually they just I, I assume the balloon pops and falls. But while this is happening, nobody has the common sense of shooting the balloon down or just trying to pull the person down. It's just oh no, they're dead. There they go. I can't believe this awful thing's happening. As you see them slowly drift upwards and yeah. it's. Really funny, but after that, I couldn't take off. Yeah, Christian told me that story, and I was like literally freaking out. I was like, "What? What is this?" Yeah, 
cannot believe it. Uh, well, then my other choice for Black Cat, yes, I have three. Uh, Ellie Fanning, first one. Uh, Carmen Vicandova, Catgirl yeah. Catwoman, as the second. Uh, my last choice would have been uh, Daisy Ridley, because she's yeah, amazing. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. I what? Like, I, so, okay, I like Daisy, Daisy Ridley as an actress from I've, the one thing I've seen her in. Which is Star Wars. Which is Star Wars. In Star Wars yeah. um, but I just don't, I don't think she would be a good Black Cat. I just don't know. I feel like, and I uh, I should be very careful how I say this, I feel like that there's a certain element to Black Cat's character that I'm not doubting she can't do. Mm-hmm. I have not seen her. I think I think Ray's character doesn't give Daisy much range to show off her chops. That's true. So I want to see well, more of that. It's not that, yeah, I know, because she's like the, uh, I want to say John Everyman, but in this yeah. case, the Jane Everywoman, right? Yeah. So, yeah, but when you have that role... When you're the 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 main point of view, you don't get to the cool things. Yeah, the reason I really like Chloe is because not only does she kick ass as Hit Girl, but it's a weird movie to pull out. But it shows Dark Shadows. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, the Tim Burton remake of that TV show. I'm a huge Tim Burton fan. Absolutely, yeah. she is in that movie, and she kind of play. She has a bit of a seductive edge to her character that pops out. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be really good coupled with the acting skills and her action things for Black Cat. Actually, yeah, that's the thing too. Because the entire time I was thinking, it's like it has to be somebody who works well with Tom, Tom Holland or I think like his be. foil yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so please Marvel if you listen hire me and then the last <laughs> thing I'm talking about which is going to be a little bit controversial um, Miles Morales Here's oh I didn't even think about this I, I know yeah. um, so okay so ideally I guess we would want to find an actor who is half black half uh, Latino because mm-hmm. that's how it is his character but if we were going to settle with someone who is just you know predominantly black for the sake of casting it's gonna be controversial, but I think it's actually a perfect fit. Jaden Smith. Ah, it's um, it's a weird choice, but he is he's talented. He seems like he's getting better. He's definitely someone who is confident and sticks to his own identity. Mm-hmm. And also, I feel like because of and this is one of the reasons I did pick him is because. He is living in the shadow of his dad, but is make is finding his own niche and his own way to be successful and stand out. And Miles Morales has to live in the shadow of Spider Man, and he's carving his own way, his own niche of getting out. So I think that that could be a really good fit for the two of them. See, for me, and I don't know how this would happen, but I would totally force it to happen because this is a hypothetical. <laughs> uh, Donald Glover as Miles Morales, yeah. uh, maybe as like the future somehow time travel was involved, and this is another Spider Man. I love Donald Glover. Um, I think he's an amazing and talented individual, so I would not be upset with that. Yeah. And he's funny, too. Yeah. yeah so he's like, great comedic chops and great serious depth. I mean, we we touched upon Atlanta earlier today. Yeah. He's phenomenal in that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And even the whole Spider-Man rumor happened a while back where people wanted him to be Spider-Man, so yeah. why not? And it, it was just too early, which sucks, because yeah. now it's like the oh, perfect time, but it's I think happening. he voiced Miles for a cartoon. I'm not sure. Did he? Possibly. I have to check that out. Webheads, please uh, fact check me. <laughs> on the web ah, uh, ah! alright so I think uh, I think we've uh, I think we've uh, ran out of web shooters yeah we're out of web fluid and the web shooters are now shooting empty so um, yeah thank you all for listening to the uh, Spidey Talk podcast yes. on thank the you. Wordprint. thank you for having me on uh, Spidey Talk this is a character who I've loved since I was a child and um, it's very important to me. So any excuse to talk about him for an hour, hour plus, uh, or whatever this ends up being. Probably like an hour 40. An hour 40. <laughs> no, I have no problem with it. So yeah. uh, thanks again. Great chatting. And uh, please, webheads, remember, uh, great power comes great responsibility. So go kick ass. Yeah. And then, uh, as you know, uh, we all of us who podcast today are on the wordprint.com. We're all writers there. Uh, check us out. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, everything. Um, 
You can follow me, of course, Christian Angelus, XN underscore Angelus on uh, uh, Twitter, and then XN Angelus on Instagram, and Christian Angelus on Facebook. And on Twitter and Instagram for me, it's very simple, at BKado, B-K-A-A-D-O. Nice. You'll see my shining face on the webs. Yeah. And Jad did have to run, so... But you you can follow him on the word print as well. And yeah. also, he's done podcaster before, so you should know. All right. Yeah. Thanks, guys. And, uh, yeah, have a webtastic day. From your friendly neighborhood uh, work print writers, we say have a great day.